Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now, get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, fired up for another episode. We've been gone for a couple of years. I am trying to get back in the flow. I don't know quite if we're going to make it on a weekly basis, but hey, if we can make a couple of months, we'll be doing great. Please do me a favor. I went back into iTunes and uh, I read the reviews of just things that people have said over the years. I think one of the biggest ones somebody wrote one time is how it saved their life. It means a lot to me, obviously, ministry, just pouring into you and people every week. I love your feedback, just what you have to say, what it meant to you about the show. So just asking you if you would um, take a minute, take some time, leave us a review and uh, share the podcast. So, all right. That being said, super excited for today. I am interviewing the pastor, Robert Burton. Robert, I want you to give me just real quick, 30,000 foot view of who you are and what you currently do. All right. Well, I'm a I'm the uh, pastor of Yes Lord here in Amarillo. I work with drug addicts, uh, homeless. We we love to call them the the least, the last, and the lost. We believe those are the ones we're we're called after. I have a desire for fast cars and loud music. I have been <laughs> I have been married to my bride, my high school sweetheart. We just will celebrate our our thirtieth anniversary coming up in February. I've got two wonderful daughters. Man, my life is is all about just the kingdom, Jesus, and getting the truth of the identity of who people truly are in the Lord to them, teaching them that. And so um, that is my life. That's really who I am every day. And so a lot of folks talk about it, man, I'm out here living it. I, it, I look for that opportunity, not just with my family, but with individuals outside of that, outside of our ministry, every day to have an opportunity just to tell somebody about Jesus, but to tell them, man, you've got a place in him. Try to break that, break that orphan spirit. That's really, that's really that in a nutshell. That's good. Okay. So has there been for you a life verse or a scripture, or maybe just even something in this season that the Lord is speaking to you right now? Uh, man, you know, there's a few life verses. Of course, you know, early on, kind of like everybody else, I, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 spoke to me, just the, the reality of knowing that God had a plan for me. But over the last few years, two that have really become important to me, Genesis one twenty six. let us make man in our image, let us make him in our likeness. There's something about being made in the image of an individual to be that reflection of them. Bro, really we're about to spin off on that one, dude. Come on. I just <laughs> read it last night and I'll tell you in a minute, but keep going. Okay. Dude. So there's something about that for me. And then the other one is John one twelve. For those who believe we're given the right to be called sons of God. And, and the reason that's important for me is, is my biological father died when I was seven. My stepdad that raised me was a very violent, mean man. I didn't have a father figure. Right. And so I didn't know what it meant to be a son. So when I realized that God had a plan for me, I was like, well, why does God have a plan? He had a plan because he viewed me. Once I came into that relationship with him, he viewed me as his son. And when I began to see that God placed me in the earth as his likeness, as his representative, as his reflection to people, 
it really changed not only how I viewed the Lord, but how I viewed myself. And so I stand on those pretty frequently, man. Those are those are very important to me. Just knowing that my identity is set in Christ and I'm a son of the King. And nobody can take that from me. I'm grafted into him. That has been really life-altering for me, coming up, really having an orphan spirit, and then having this revelation of, I'm not an orphan. Maybe in the natural I was, but in the supernatural and the spiritual, I'm not. I'm a son, and I'm about my father's business. So it really, it changed me from my, I mean, from my core. It it rocked me. Quick side note. So I was reading, uh, I don't know if you knew, but I wrote a book two years ago. We, we were going to launch it literally right before COVID hit. Never really got a chance to launch it. We're, we're still working on that. But anyways, the book's called Speaking God's Frequency. Okay. I was rereading it last night because I'm speaking Saturday, obviously, as you know, because you're going to be there. So in Genesis uh, 126, he said, let us make man in our image, what you just talked about. So I wrote about that in the book. And this was the Lord gave me a download. This was three, four years ago. But what is the one thing? So God created all the heavens and the earth, right? But what really makes us so different than everything else? God gave us the ability to speak life out of our mouth. Yes. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, right? Yes. And the Lord showed me from that scripture, that is part of the thing that we are like in his image. We have the ability to speak his words, his kingdom, his life into people, circumstances, and everything around us. Nothing else in creation gets to do that. Right. I teach this to my leadership and to those around me, that in Genesis, when God created, it said, he said, let there be, let there, let there be light, let the water be separate from light, let there be, let there be. But it says that when he made man, he formed him with his hand. And the Lord started showing me, if you're my likeness, if you look all the way back at creation, there's a sound that precedes great movement. There's a sound that precedes power. And the Lord says, you want to see lives change? You got to release the sound I've put in you. I've given you a voice. I've given you insight. You speak my oracles, but you only speak what I speak. When you speak it, the word, what does the Bible says? It says, the Lord watches over his word, ready to perform it. Amen. That means somebody's got to put it to action. I got to speak it out. He performs it. And so I love that, that, that we have been given that and nobody else has no other, no other created thing can speak. And not only can we speak, we speak on behalf of the Lord. Yes. How yes. what an honor to have the spirit of God living in you and then to be able to speak on behalf of Jesus. Said, I don't speak unless my father speaks. I don't move unless my father's the father and I are one. Man, what an honor. Yeah. When you get past that orphan spirit, I had that myself, which we can talk more later. But once you get over that hurdle and you catch the revelation of who you are and who we're called to be, you speak differently. You speak kingdom. You speak life. You see my books about uh, family, uh, business, and uh, life. Uh, It's been so long, I forget. But speaking life into our businesses, our marriages, our families, children, all those things, you literally get to see them transform because you catch a revelation of whose we are. Okay. So let's back up many years. Let's go. So give me kind of your life journey. Why did you get into pastoring or you could go before that, whatever, but I want to get to know you and kind of the backdrop of who you are and why you got into being a pastor. My mom 
I wasn't early on. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. My mom got saved during the Jesus people movement in Southern California before we moved here. But our home was such a wreck. My mother was madly in love with the Lord. My stepdad was not. He had a form of something. But so I had a very skewed view of church, church people, the Lord. And so at about the age of 13, 12 or 13, I openly denied Christ even existed. And my lifestyle showed that. My wife, when we started dating when I was 13, um, when I was about 14, her brother told her, he said, he's going to preach and share the gospel to the nations. And I laughed. His brother, her her brother said that? Yeah, her brother said that about me. I said, that's great. But in order to preach the gospel, I would have to believe that Jesus existed and I don't. And so starting at about 12, I started dabbling in drugs and alcohol, which followed me for the next number of years. And I had an addiction. I was a full-blown alcoholic by the time I was 18. Was working, could function, but I had to have that alcohol every day throughout the day. I got tied in with some guys later that just really loved me for who I was, even though I was a mess. I was rowdy and loud and foul. They really just started being kind to me. and Nobody had really been kind to me other than my wife when we were dating and my mother. And, and that really kind of opened me up to start looking at some things. I had a radical encounter with the Lord in January of 97. He took the cravings from me, but there was a lot of residual damage that had to be addressed. What what did that look like? What happened? It was Super Bowl Sunday, January the, the 26th, 1997. I would go to church only. My wife was saved, born again, radical for the Lord. But I would go to church just to keep the peace in the house. There's one thing that I was like, if we do this, we don't fight. So we went on a Sunday night, and I was going to go to a Super Bowl party afterwards. And the youth were doing the service of all things. So the youth pastor came up there. He said that there was a river flowing through the front of that sanctuary that night. And somebody, you have denied Christ, and you're broken. And the Lord says to you, if you'll come down here and get in this river, he will wash you, and he will restore you. Well, I got up to leave. I was leaving. And the next thing right. I'm walking towards the front of the room. You don't even and remember how that happened. You're just you're just like, I what just, the heck? Yeah, here I am walking towards that. And every ounce of my flesh is screaming. I got down there and I stood there for a minute and I just knelt down at that altar. It was a huge altar. It was at the Assembly of God Church in Canyon. And I laid across that altar. I was roughly 23, 24, somewhere about that time. Okay. I began to weep. My dad had literally beat the the ability to cry out of me. And I began to weep. And it was such a guttural, bitter cry, literally to where the tears were running off the front of the altar. I encountered Jesus, had never encountered him before, had heard about him, had been in church, had seen, but I encountered Jesus to the point to where I felt his presence in a tangible way. That's what was different from all the that other was what was different. You could feel them. Yeah. So when I got up, I'm, there was some, there was clearly something different about me. And when I got in the car that night, I asked my wife, I said, who was laying across me? Because I was laying with my chest on that altar. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, somebody was laying across my back and I could feel the pressure of them pushing me down. And she said, nobody was laying on you. Mm. I said, somebody was pressing on me or laying on me. I said, but there was a peace and an acceptance about it. And I said, was it Pastor Nickel or Pastor Ronnie? He was just, nobody touched you the entire time that you were there. They all just stood and prayed from a distance. And I said, it had to have been Jesus then. 
Yeah. And she said, you've encountered, you've encountered Jesus. And I said, I think I have. And I was different. Of course, you know, there were some, some things that had to change and I had to, I had to rethink and, but I went in there one way and I came out, I was foul mouthed and violent tendencies and addicted and running around. And I came out of there and it was like, I don't know what to do or how to do it, but I know this, I can't do that again. I've (laughs) literally been removed from that and I don't know what it would look like to try to go back. And so I just started the process of asking questions and I would be in the car and I just asked the Lord, what do I do? What do I do with this? And what do I do with that? And really then is when the Lord really started teaching me how to get into the word, how to, how to study the word of God, how to spend time with him. And it was, and I really didn't get the fullness of the, the presence until a few years back, but it was just, I started having a lot of questions and it was, I had the freedom to ask. I wasn't growing up. I could ask my mom anything. If I asked my dad a question, it was always, the response was always very negative. So I learned just not to ask questions. And so, but in that moment, I was like, I can ask. And I did, man. I asked a lot of questions. And I'm sure some of them now, if I look back, I was like, probably most people. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He was building a relationship. Yes. And that was the thing. I had seen religion firsthand. Yeah. I had seen my friends when we showed up in our Motley Crue t-shirts and our long hair and our ripped jeans turned away at the door. I had, wow. I had experienced religion, but it was in that moment, really, I experienced the love of a father and I, and I began to experience relationship. And so that was really probably one of the greatest life altering moments I've ever had was that encounter. And then, so then you fast forward about four or five years and I'm struggling a little bit. I know I love the Lord. I'm just kind of struggling in some things. And as the enemy does, I was battling mentally okay. and contemplated suicide. And we found out that my wife was pregnant with my first daughter. And so I was like, you know what? I got to, I got to do this. I got to be responsible. And so we went through it. There were a lot of complications, but Deanna was born. And from the moment I saw her, ma'am, she took my breath away. She and I have been connected at the hip ever since. She's a daddy's girl, Hannah. Took her a little while to warm up to me, but I remember sitting in the hospital holding Deanna, little four pound, 12 ounce baby. And I remember holding her and just not even being able to put in words how much I just love this little individual. I heard the Lord in that room said, you see how much you love her? And I said, oh, I can't even describe how much I love her. And the Lord said, and I love you more than that. And from Did that you cry? Forward, yeah, I'm yeah. about to cry now. Um, <laughs> but from that moment on, Deanna has taught me more. The Lord has shown his love for me more through her than any other avenue. That's cool. And so I realized my father loves me. And man, I just stood on that from then on. I had built relationship, built relationship, but then I had this revelation. Golly, the creator of the heavens and earth loved me. I can't even put into words how much I love this child. And he loves me more than that. And then I began, the Lord began to show me scripture again. My thoughts for you are more than the sands on the seashore. And how great are my thoughts for you? And, you know, there's nothing that will separate you from my love. And I was like, how did I miss this my entire life? So those two things really changed. They changed me completely to where the old, the old lifestyle never had, it never had a, I never had a desire to go backwards. I never, I never longed for the days of old where I was shackled to anything. It was like, if this is good here, how much better will it be down the road? How much more does the Lord have? How much yeah, more? There's a drawing. Yeah. 
And so then with that, I became a youth pastor shortly after Deanna was born. Okay. And I had some of the roughest boys you can imagine. <laughs> it was really, I really took over just because the pastor had left, the youth pastor had left, they had a new pastor, and they just asked me, hey, will you help us? And I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll do it. And it, I had these rough and rowdy boys, and I could see myself in them, and I thought, you know what? These are the guys that need a pastor. I'm not a suit and tie guy. I'm not I'm not what every other pastor has ever looked like. These guys need a pastor. And that's what I knew then. All of those things that had been prophesied, all the things that had been written, all the things that had been said about me, I knew in that moment, this is what I'm called to do. I'm called to pastor the roughest of the rough. I'm called to pastor the ones that nobody else wants. And I had kids that weren't allowed to go to other churches in Canyon. They had been asked to leave. But what I saw is I saw the Lord do the same with them that he did with me. And down the road, here we are, you know, 20 plus years later. And a lot of those guys are business owners. They have degrees. They are husbands. They are pastors. They are servants in the church. And I look back at that and I'm like, you know what? That was the moment that I knew I was called for sure to pastor. I didn't know how it looked. I didn't know how to do it. But I was like, if nothing else, I'll just love these guys and I'll kind of direct them the best I can. So that's funny you said that because that, we're a little forward in some of my questions, but one that is one of my questions. Was there a moment, like, do you remember being somewhere and you're just like, this is it. This is what I'm called to do. Like where your mind and your heart, your spirit, it's like you have that God moment and you're like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be. Like I was created for this. Yes. And I'll tell you what was funny about that. I was actually with 30, I took 30 youth kids to acquire the fire in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Right before I left, the Lord told me you're going to come back and resign. And I'm like, <laughs> this thing's just taken off. Yeah. And so we went to acquire the fire, but I stood in that room and I knew, I was like, you know what? I know this is the moment. I know that I've been called and set apart and God's given me giftings and anointings and talents. It was also in that, that I learned the greatest test of obedience. Because I came back, we came back on a Sunday night and on Monday morning I resigned and I went to another church. The Lord told me to go and I went and I had all the, they needed a youth pastor. I knew the pastors there. I thought, man, this is a great plug in. And the Lord sat me for seven years. Oh my gosh. I was like, what in the world? And for seven <laughs> years, for seven years, I, you know, I filled in as an usher every now and then, but for the most part, I just sat. I attended faithfully to every service, but what the Lord had me doing for seven years was dissecting the word privately. Okay, so real quick, I just want, I want an honest conversation here because I've, I've been through that. Have, was there a point where you questioned that though? Like, cause you're sitting in there for seven years and sometimes you're like, did I hear God wrong? Did I miss something? Was I disobedient? Did I do something bad? God, do you love me? Uh, yeah. Where did I screw up? Yeah, I mean, dude, I could go on, but every single yeah, okay. Every single okay. day. Every single day. Because what I saw is I saw people that were coming up behind me, and it was like the Lord was promoting them in ministry and promoting them in business. And I I had left one career and, and started working in the car business and it was taken off. And I was like, But I thought you called me to pastor these people. And I thought you called me to do this, but now I'm over here and I'm in this dealerships and good Lord, why would you put me in a dealership? And every day it was a question. But probably year three, two and a half, year three, somewhere in there, I had a revelation. I was working at Midway Chevrolet, and the Lord said, you pastor wherever you're at. Amen. 
your ministry is wherever I put you and whoever I put you in. And so it changed the way I viewed people as well. It's an overflow so, of who you are. Yeah. And so, man, I would share the gospel on the service drive. I have prayed with widows. I have prayed with people who've just gone through divorces. I prayed with people who've had a death. I have celebrated birthdays with people. I've celebrated weddings, total strangers. Amen. That's so cool. Service drive. And it was learning. It was learning that obedience to say, okay, Lord, wherever you place me, wherever you place me, I'm going to bring the anointing. And wherever you place me, I'm going to be obedient to you to whoever's in front of me. And so I I tell people all the time, the first church that I ever pastored was on the service drive of a dealership. That's cool. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody had ever heard my name, but those people that were coming in there to get those old changes and getting the service service done, they knew me and they knew me more than just their service advisor. They knew me as this is a guy I can go to. He'll give me sound advice. He'll pray with me and he'll love me. And so that was uh, in the middle of that seven years. And so it wasn't easy. I had all these desires. I was typing up sermons and sermon notes and doing all these things and no opportunity to, I thought I had to have a pulpit and the Lord said, your pulpit is a service desk. Preach yeah. from there. And that's what I did. And wow. um, it, it was probably, it was probably my wilderness place where the Lord developed how to share the gospel was in that setting. And so, but yeah, it was, it was funny as I knew who I knew it. I was like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm called to do. And I got back and the Lord said, you're going to resign and you're going to sit. And I was like, wow, we're just getting started. Yeah. Are you confused, I'm, Lord? Are you sure you're yeah. talking to the right person? Yeah, I, I thought, I thought we were doing this, but it was that learning how to be obedient because, you know, it's funny is one thing that I don't do is when you come, when you walk through the door of Jesus, I don't call you by your I don't call you by your street nicknames or whatever. I grew up, everybody in my family, my friend group, they called me rebel. And it wasn't just a cool nickname. It was just who I was. It was rebellious. And so now, even those from the old days, they want, they want, they want to call me that. I'm like, no, 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 no. My name is Robert. You call yeah. me Robert. It was in that seven years, the Lord began to show me that you're no longer who you were. Yeah. Name change, man. It's an identity thing. Yeah. Like when Abram goes to Abraham and he just... Yes. He speaks, he spoke new life over him, just like he was you. Yeah. Jacob to Israel. Yes. Took you from one life to another. And, you know, I've never been to a Bible school or seminary. I really count those seven years. That was my Bible college. That was when I had, I had professor Holy Ghost teaching me every day um, how to, how to shut my mouth sometimes and not speak to things just because I think I have an opinion on it. That was it. man. those were some great changing times in my life. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So during this time, I like to call it like the the moment Moses is standing at the shore and you kind of, you hit that place in your life where you know, if God doesn't show up, you're basically screwed. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just like, God, you have to show up in this and a great failure. I mean, sometimes I think people, I think they underestimate the value of great failures because I, f- I feel like that's who, where we're built, where we really find the Lord. But is there a moment that comes to your mind where you had like a great failure and God had to show up and really kind of redeem something for you? Yeah, I um Before I pastored, yes, Lord, I pastored another church and was there for a number of years and, and it was going well. But the last the last couple of years I was there, the Lord was doing refining in me. In 17, he had begun to tell me I needed to step away from the dealership after 15 years of being in the dealership to concentrate on pastoring the church and trust him. I didn't quite do it the way it was supposed to be done. 
So then the door closed and I found myself. You felt like the Lord told you to do something. And you were disobedient. Like you felt like you didn't do. Come on, man. Let's, let's get raw, baby. <laughs> so the Lord said, do something and you didn't do it exactly the way. So he took it away and gave you, he took it away. He took it away. So for eight okay. months, okay. eight months, he told me you need to resign for eight months. I said, I, I can't resign this job with the money <laughs> and the bonuses that come with it to pastor a church for $300 a week. There's just no way I can do that. Yeah. And um, February of 17, ironically, I showed up at a Yes Lord meeting. They were they had a, a revival of some Josh Radford in on okay. a Saturday and Sunday. Well, on Sunday, he prophesied a powerful word over me. The Lord's about to shift you and move you. And, and I missed it because the next morning I went into work fired up, man. Here we go. And my boss comes in. Um, I'd been with the company 10 years at that point. He comes in, he tells me, he says, you know, three of our dealerships. At that point, I was a manager. He said, you're profitable. You can build a team. You can lead well. You've been a great asset for 10 years. And he looked at me, he goes, but we got to part ways. I said, come again. He said, we got to part ways. Is normally I would fire a guy when I make a change. He said, but I got up this morning and he's a godly man. And he told yeah. me, he said, I was praying this morning. And the Lord told me, I need to give you the opportunity to resign. And I said, absolutely, I'll resign. You got a shift and a big change, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so by eight o'clock, I was back home. I was down in my church office, laid out before the Lord, wondering what we're going to do. From 17 until about a year and a half later, about a year, it was straight faith. Then came the struggle. And I, and I really viewed it as one of the greatest struggles of my lifetime when you know, I felt as I was being obedient to the Lord, I was I was ministering to those who I was called to minister to, trying to build a kingdom-minded ministry in Amarillo, and there was some pushback. Yeah. And there was a lot of pushback to the point to where there were behind-the-scenes things and meetings and conversations, and to the point to where they approached me and told me they wanted me to, to resign. And I told them, I said, I've not done anything wrong. I don't know why I would resign. <laughs> and it was very ugly. My remaining time at that church was very ugly. And I was, I view it as probably one of my greatest failures because I had great intentions. I felt like I was following the Lord. I just, I wanted to see the best for people. I wanted to give them the best of what heaven had to offer them. Out of that came probably what I view as my greatest failure in my life, in my ministry, and in my relationships. Um, because across the board, it cost me. And it cost me deeply. And it cost me with people that I love like family. It cost me what I viewed as my ministry to the point to where when I walked away from there, I told the Lord, I love you. I'll live for you all my life, but I will never pastor again. Yeah, it's never painful. Because sheep bite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They have shark teeth, bro. They don't even have regular teeth. And so it was in that that I felt my most farthest from the Lord, my most broken. I was so angry. I was so bitter. The Lord said, but you're going to do this. And he put me right back in. People just started calling. Hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's the plan? And so that was when we actually launched. It was shortly after that we launched the church side of Yes, Lord. That was never the intent. Uh, Christy called and said she had a vision. We talk about that later. But so we launched with just a handful of people. You know, it's one thing when you're broken and you've, you've, you've experienced failure and nobody knows it. It's another thing when you are in the middle of your greatest betrayal, your greatest hurt, your greatest failure in your life, and you have to burn openly. Yeah, and you hard. have to still minister to the people, even though you're bleeding out. 
even though you feel like you have the greatest wound that you've ever had in your life, but yet you still see the compassion that it takes to still love people. And for the last four years, it took me two and a half years really to get it right, but to be wounded and to still minister effectively. And I mean, we can minister, but there, we were ministering effectively. We were seeing lives change. We were seeing the power of God move in our services. We were seeing glory fall. We were seeing signs and wonders and healings. And yet I would leave out of there and I would deep and it felt like my insides were falling out of me. And out of my greatest failure, and I view that as my greatest failure, I look back, there's probably some things I could have done differently. But at the end of the day, I was being obedient to the Lord in the vision and the structure of what I was doing. I feel like it's so easy. I can look back. I have great failures myself and experienced some of the stuff you're talking about, but I can look back. What did God do for you in those moments? Because there was a breaking of you for a reason. I always tell people when God asks us for something, he never does it not. He gives us something in return. Yes. But we always want to fight it. So, you know, there's a song out by uh, Hillsong. Okay. And in the opening lines, it says, it talks about having a, a it's called New Wine. It talks about a new wine and a fresh anointing. And it's a beautifully arranged song. But the opening lines of that song says, in the crushing and in the breaking. And two years ago, the Lord showed me, said, I've taken what was designed to destroy you. And yes, you are being crushed and you are broken. But what I'm going to bring out of you on the other side is going to be the sweetest wine, the best anointing you've ever had for my glory. What I've learned out of that breaking and that crushing is, number one, I don't take anything personal. Ministry's hard in itself. I used to say all the time, man, pastor, it'd be great if I didn't have to be able to deal with the people. But I learned in that not to take anything personal. It's never personal. I learned how to have great compassion. I asked the Lord to let me see people the way that he sees them. He was true to that prayer. And I also learned in the middle of it that forgiveness is a choice. Yeah, that's good. I started having people reaching out to me and asking, will you forgive me? This is what I did. This was my part. Will you forgive me? At first, I was hurt and I was angry. All those feelings came back. And the Lord reminded me, you said you would forgive. And I had to look back and I realized, you know what, I do have to forgive. And so forgiveness is a choice. I don't take anything personal. And out of it, I, I have seen in the last number of years, last three years for sure, four years, some of the greatest ministry I've ever been involved in. From a corporate level and in Yes, Lord, as a body, I've seen undeniable things. I've seen lives literally change before my eyes. I've seen things on a one-on-one basis where I've been able to meet with people who I had no business being in a room with yeah. them. To be quite honest with you, where I met you, when I met you at the house in River Falls, the people that I met that came in there, I had no business being in the same room with them. You know, a kid with a police escort, a GED, and, you know, on paper, I had no business being in there. But the Lord said, I've given you compassion for people. And one thing I came to realize is your name could hang on one of the buildings downtown Amarillo, or you could be sleeping in the gutter across from the homeless shelter in downtown. They all have the same thing. And they're all broken and they're searching for something. Amen to that. And they just filled it with different things. Yes. And so out of my worst failure, the Lord allowed that crushing. What does Isaiah say? You're chosen, but you're chosen out of the furnace of affliction. 
I find it to be, even though it was one of the most brutal times, one of the most hurtful times, I can look back on it now and say it's one of the most beautiful times in my life where the Lord refined me out of myself, less of me and more of him to where I can truly walk at peace with all men and I can love him wholeheartedly. And when those, and there are, you know, as well as I do, people are going to say things about you and they're going to do things. And a lot of the times it wouldn't hurt your feelings if it was a stranger, but when it's somebody close to you, that's when it hurts. And I just learned how to walk through that and not take offense to it. You know, Lord, it's not them. Maybe they have a misconception. Maybe they have a different idea. Maybe they are offended by something else. I'm going to love them regardless. And so I really think out of that, the greatest thing that's come out of that crushing is my, I've always loved people, but not at the level that I love them now. I truly love people. I pursue, I pursue those that are unlovable just to love on them. I love it. <laughs> so I think that's the greatest thing that came out of that. Okay. Let's dive into the real round. They're kind of just quick popcorn questions. We won't yeah. dive deep. Um, I do want to say before we dive into that, uh, guys, if you are in the Amarillo area or kind of the panhandle, for those of you who don't know, we own and run a construction company. We build homes. We do remodels. That company allows us to do actually this podcast. That's per se our sponsor. That is how we're able to share this podcast all over the world. So if you know anybody or looking to get a remodel, uh, a new home, something like that, please reach out to us. We love doing it. We love helping people. We love building new houses or expanding their homes, remodels whatever, bathrooms, kitchen. So please, again, if you're just in this facility within about 100 miles, please reach out to us and uh, we'd love to take care of you. Okay, Robert. So popcorn questions. What's your biggest strength and gift? My biggest strength comes out of Matthew 13, 44. The man found a treasure in a field. The, Jesus said the kingdom is like a treasure in a field. I love that The verse. man found it for the joy he found in it, hid it, sold all of his possessions, came back and bought the whole field. I believe my greatest strength is I can find treasure in every individual. Yeah. Um, I don't care how messy they are. I will dig through the dirt. All I got to do is see just a glimpse of treasure and I'll walk it out with them. I don't care how messy, how nasty, how smelly it is. My wife and I say all the time, we do, we do messy ministry. I think that's my greatest strength is I can find treasure in everybody I come across. No matter what they look like, I can find the treasure in them. What's your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is because I tend to love people so deeply I don't know how to say no. I, I, I was just going to, I knew you were going to say that before you even said it. I'll tell you why I've done enough interviews to say, I can tell the majority 99% of the time, your greatest strength is your also typically your greatest weakness yes. because you go overboard in that area. And when you should have stopped it a hundred times, you went 120, right? Yeah, exactly. I tend to be a people pleaser. The Lord is reminding me in this season of my life that no is a complete sentence that needs no explanation. And so (laughs) that's my biggest weakness. I tend to want to please people. I want them to be, I want them to know that I love them so deeply. I will sacrifice my personal time, my time with my wife and my children. That's a weakness. Um, And so I've had to set some really tight boundaries in that. What is the biggest thing right now that God's stirring in you that you feel pretty excited about something coming up or whatever? I think the greatest thing that the Lord is stirring in me right now is just he's unlocking a lot of keys to the kingdom for me. But right now, it's a couple things that go hand in hand. One, he had me for months and months and months getting out of the performance and production of ministry and learning the person and the presence of the Lord. And so out of that, though, 
comes the understanding of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. When you're in the presence, it's in the presence that I don't come and I bring, I don't bring all my petitions and my worries. I come and I get strategies. I have communion with my father. I have rest. That's the biggest thing right now is rest. Um, The Lord has really been after me about two things. One, physical health is important for longevity of ministry, but rest is important as well. Not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, I've got to rest in the Lord. That's really exciting to me because especially now that the Lord's showing that, I can see where so many people are striving in ministry and even in life, and they're wearing themselves out because they won't rest. We have been talking about that a lot with our leadership. We've been talking about that a lot with our prayer team. You've got to rest in the Lord. Turn things over and just sit back with the Lord and let Him breathe. Feel Him for a moment. Get recharged so that you can go about the Father's business. And out of that come strategies to do the Father's business, strategies on how to minister to people. It gives you fresh ideas on how you view people. And then with that, it gives you the opportunity to hit the pause button, not just for you with the Lord, but with you and your family. I'm able to now with my daughters and my wife, we just broke off for a week and went to Dallas with no agenda, man, just went away and hung out and just spent time together and came back recharged. And so I think those that's probably the biggest thing right now, knowing the presence and the person of the Lord, getting out of performance mode, and then just being at rest with the Father. Um, not feeling like I have to strive all the time to be, you know, oh, if I don't do this or I don't do that, I'm not going to be pleasing. The Father's pleased. He's pleased with you. That's funny you said that. It's, yeah, I have a hard time with that. Not a performance mindset. I felt like the Lord years ago took that out of me, but the thought of slowing down, like feeling like I'm going to miss something or I have to achieve something or whatever. And I just, the Lord's just like, I love you because I love you. Not because you do. I just want to hang out with you, have a relationship with you. Let's just hang out. And I want to go do something. And I'm really having to learn to slow. I mean, I've been getting slapped in the face with two by fours for months, man. I'm telling you, I just... I feel it. So, so Robert, if you could go back to the younger you, what age would you go to? And what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give the younger you? I would go back to when I was 13, an angry, bitter young man, Mm -hmm. been abused everywhere imaginable, started dabbling in some drugs and alcohol. I would go back to that moment and I would tell that young man, this is not permanent. This is not your life forever. This is temporary. If you'll look to the Lord, that's the fulfillment you're looking for. You'll never find it in the bottle of any bottle. You'll never find it in any relationship other than with him. I would go back to that moment and tell him, you feel unloved, but you're loved with an everlasting love. And show him, if you'll listen to this, it'll literally change the path of your life. And so I think that'd be the greatest advice. And that's, I would go back to when I was 13. That was a benchmark year for me there was a shifting and it wasn't a good shifting that took yeah. place in me. And so it was like something broke, something broke in me and it wasn't a good thing. Yes. Um, over the last few years, something's broke in me, but it's a good thing now. But yeah. that, and it was, I was a, I was a damaged kid and I would go back and tell him, Hey, this is don't make a permanent decision based on some temporary circumstances. That's, and that's so, a good quote. Yeah. I could that, tweet that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, Robert, I'm going to give you parting thoughts, man. I, I love your story. I, I think in the future, we're going to have to talk some more. I'd like to talk yes. identity, uh, some things on our podcast, I think would be very beneficial for some people. But all that being said, what is just some parting advice 
that you would like to give our listeners all over the world as we call it a night? As Paul said, when you've done all you can do to stand, stand. You're not standing alone. You're not standing on empty promises. You're standing on the word of God. The psalmist says that the word of God is forever established in heaven. Stand and work the course. Run your race. Don't give up. It's going to be hard. It's going to, there's going to be days where you're tired. There's going to be days where you're hurting. There's going to be days where you're disillusioned and you're wondering, am I doing anything? My advice would be this. Look into the glory of the Lord. Stay in the presence of the Lord and run the race laid out before you. David says this. He goes, I look to the mountains, where's my help from? It comes from the Lord in the heavens above. He's not looking to the mountains, he's changing his vantage point. So it's your worst. When I was at my worst four years ago, broken, I had to change my vantage point. Keep your vantage point where you're always looking on the Lord. And no matter what you face, no matter what situation, no matter what brokenness, you will always be able to say, God has been faithful to me. And because I know he's been faithful, he'll be faithful again and again and again. And you'll find the strength in him to pick up and do it for another day. Stay the course. Because he is faithful. That's good stuff, man. Okay, so Robert, people that are listening to this, maybe they want to reach out. I encourage you guys, if you're listening in other parts of the country, please pour out. uh, I would encourage you to sow seed into this ministry. I don't even know if I've actually ever said that on this podcast, but I'm a big believer in sowing into people, into ministries because it changes people's lives. It's literally, in my opinion, it's that simple. If you're in town or around the Amarillo, I encourage you to visit Pastor Robert. But why don't you tell us if people want to reach out to you, get a hold of you, come to your church, whatever, give us all the goods. All of our information, we have a website. It's yeslord.church. It's real simple. There is a giving tab on there. There's all of our information is on there. There's some contact information. You can contact us at yeslord.church at yahoo.com. We manage that thing every single day. Those are probably the best two. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We've got our messenger up. We've got people from all over messaging us on Facebook right now. Technology is a great thing. Um, We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 at we use the chapel at Face City Mission until we have our own facility. And we're, we're in the works on that, looking and seeing what that looks like. So we're there every every Sunday morning at 1030. And then we have a little space that we rent for Wednesday nights at 4850 Western Business Park Drive. But to contact us, spread the best ways, Facebook, our email or our website. And um, I've got people working that stuff around the clock. Awesome, man. All right. All right, Word Nation. I hope that encouraged you. I love Robert's story. I just love stories, man. I love seeing what the Lord has done because literally only Jesus can do life-changing miracles in my life and in Robert's and yours. When we are willing to be obedient and step out in faith, I'm telling you, God will rock and change your world every time without exception. I've heard thousands of stories and I got plenty of my own. God is good. Uh, even when you think he isn't, he still loves you. He's still a father and it's good stuff. So that being said, please reach out to us. I asked you guys, please get on iTunes, leave us a review. If you're in the Amarillo area, please reach out to New Life Homes. We'd love to help you out. Anyways, that being said, remember, be real, be authentic and be you. God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. 
Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Thank you.